Amen. Does anyone here remember Tracy Chapman? You got a fast car. Remember that song? Liz is the reincarnation of Tracy Chapman. So, and that's a compliment. That's a compliment. Absolutely. Wonderful stuff. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, band. They do a great job. Amen. I'll tell you this. Sometimes I look around and some of y'all are just like, it helps if you sing. <laughs> we do it so you sing. That's why the words are on the screen. All right. All right. Very good. All right. Are y'all ready? Say I'm ready. All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, just a little confession here. How many of you have ever played the if only game? If only game. How many of you have ever said, if only I had this, my life would be so much better? Come on, let's, go, let's be honest, okay? Right, right. If only I had this, I would be happier, okay? If only I had a better boss. If only I had a better job. If only I had more money. If only I had better hair. Or hair in the right place. If only God would answer this one prayer, whatever it is, right? Some ladies might say, if only I had a husband. If only I had a husband. Some of you said, I tried that. <laughs> or you might say, if only I had a husband with a good job. Or, as my wife says, if only I had a husband who had a good job who looked like Channing Tatum. Good luck with that, Renee. Mm -hmm. So throughout life, we all recognize if only I had this, it would be better, right? Amen? All right, so I want you to think about that because I want to encourage you to listen to this message. And again, thank you if you're online. Listen to this message. Watch this message through the lens of your greatest need. What is your greatest need in life right now? Think about that. My greatest need. My greatest need. And to experience the teaching of this message through your greatest need. So again, let me set the context for our study. We're in week two of one word that will change your life. And we talked about that one word that will change your life last week in the nine o'clock. Two whole people remembered what the word was from last Sunday. I know it's been a whole week. Does anybody here, please, dear Jesus, does anybody remember the word that we talked about last week? Faithful. One person. Thank you. It's faithful, right? You want God to say at the end of your life, because God's going to judge you at the end of your life, you want God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And today we're emphasizing faith that works, faith that actually works. So uh, how many of you say you have faith? You have faith? Okay, good, good. If you're online, you have faith, type in faith. Now I want you to do this. Turn to your neighbor and say, your faith needs to get busy. Go ahead, say that. Go ahead. Your faith needs to get busy. I don't know if you heard about this, but there's, there's a, back in Pennsylvania, we, they used to sit on porch swings, and so uh, there was a couple there, uh, Homer was his name, and Emmy Lou. And Homer really loved Emmy Lou, but he was shy and he didn't know how to communicate his love for Emmy Lou. And they were courting, they were dating, and they were sitting on the porch swing. And Homer was very shy. And so he began, he said, You know, Emmy Lou, if I had a thousand eyes, they would all be on you. And Emmy Lou just looked at him kind of funny. And he said, You know, Emmy Lou, if I had a thousand arms, they would all be hugging you. Emmy Lou looked at him. If I had a thousand lips, they would all be kissing you. 
Amy Lou was not, not really enamored with this sort of talk, and she said, you know, Homer, why don't you stop complaining about what you don't have and use what you do have? <laughs> Amen? So that's kind of the, the, the message in a joke, all right, in a nutshell, okay? Faith is not just I believe in God. Faith is actually action we take, okay? Faith is the move that we make. Faith is the ability to see it, yes, for sure, but it's also... It's not just I believe in God, it's the courage to act as if God is real. Faith is believe in God, it's not just the, it's not just, okay, God exists, but it's the life-changing choice to say, I'm going to walk with God, I'm going to build my life. We just sang upon, upon God's love, and I'm going to walk with God, and I'm going to act like it. So it is not an intellectual assent only. Remember, the scripture says, hey, the devil believes in God. But what are you doing because you believe in God? Amen? Okay, I'm going to need a little more energy than this. All right, okay. So again, we're talking about the prophet Elijah. We started last week. Elijah was faithful. And you remember, he slaughtered the oxen and he burned the plow. And he burned all his bridges and he said, I'm going to go where God calls me to go. And that was a faithful response. So the context for our study, we're going to study again Elijah today, and it's another story. And basically what happened is there were three kings who joined forces. These were, these were good kings, right? These are on Elijah's team, and they're going to do battle against the Moabites. Now, I know you're familiar with the Moabites, right? No, you're not. All right, anyhow. So, but it's three kingdoms against one. And they thought, this will be easy. Have you ever thought to yourself, hey, today's going to be easy. And then you got into today, and today was not easy. Anybody? That's what happened. Okay. Life does not go as it's planned. So what happens is that these three kings get together, and they're like, let's go. We're going to take over the Moabites. We're going to kill them. We're going we're to rule the world. We're going to be great. But they find themselves out in the desert, and they're in the middle of no water. And they run out of water. Their canteens run dry. Their animals run dry. And they're seven days with no water. And they realize we're going to die. Our animals that we've got all of our stuff on, we're going to die of thirst. They have a very significant need, okay? Remember I asked you, what's your greatest need? And if you're taking notes at home or if you're taking notes here, here's the principle. Your greatest need can actually become a blessing when it drives you to depend upon God. I'm going to say it one more time, just in case for anyone's in the slow class. Here we go. Your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend upon God. How many of you have ever thought, you know what? I really need God right now. Yeah. Okay, and that's a great need. Okay, so that's what happens. So we're going to start in 2 Kings chapter 3. We're going to read three whole verses right now, verse 9 through 12. Here's what it said. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Eden. So this is our three kings. And after a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for their animals with them. So they're in trouble. Verse 10. What, exclaimed the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us in the hands of the Moabs? In other words, have we gotten together and we're going to be defeated now because we're out of water? But Jebusat, one of the kings, said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here? 
through whom we may acquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elijah, son of Shepat, is here, and he used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Now, as you remember last week, Elijah was the older prophet, and he threw his cloak on Elijah, and he mentored him to become the next prophet. Are you with me? Yes? So, and again, if you know anything about this, Elijah, the older prophet, one time when Israel was in a drought, he asked God to produce a cloud, and God produced a cloud that was no bigger than my hand. And they're like, what's that going to do, right? A small, tiny little cloud. And that cloud produced the greatest storm they'd ever seen, the size of their hand. And so they thought, well, if Elijah did that, and Elijah's his protege, guess what? Good thing's going to happen, right? That's what they're thinking. So they're thinking, wow, if Elijah did that, maybe Elijah can help us as well. Verse 12, Jebuset said, the word of the Lord is with Elijah. In other words, he's a good draft pick. We want him on our team. So the king of Israel and Jebuset and the king of Eden went down to him. They went to talk to him, to ask him for a favor. So now let's make sure we're all together here. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. All right, so here we go. Three kings going into battle against the Moabites. They're going to win easily. They think it's going to be an easy day, three against one. They find themselves in big danger. They're out of water. Now what we know is that these kings were not currently serving God. God was not on their radar. They were not seeking God. They were not, like some people today, they were not in church. They were not watching online. All of a sudden, when they're in trouble, have you ever done this? Like, you're living carefree, things are going good, and then trouble hits, and then all of a sudden you're like, you get religious. You know what I'm saying? Right? This is a jailhouse conversion. Oh, yeah, God, we're in trouble. Can you help us? Right? And so they said, is there anybody here who's really in good with God? Like, does anybody can do a little rain dance for us? Maybe pull some spiritual strings here for us? And they said, oh, yeah, there's Elijah the prophet. Maybe he can help us out. And they heard. Now, here's what you have to know about Elijah, the younger prophet. He did almost as many miracles recorded in Scripture as Jesus. Jesus is the only one that did more. But in his rookie year as a prophet, he divided the Jordan River. That's pretty cool. How many of you divided a river? Not a hand up. I have not divided a river yet myself. He divided it. Another time there was a polluted spring of water, like you drink the water, you die. He like prayed over it. Water is sparkling clear. Suddenly it's like Aquafina, very good. Okay. Another thing he did when, this is really funny, you're going to think I'm making this up. There were some young boys that were around Elijah. And what you need to know about Elijah is he did not have a lot of hair. He was bald. And so these two boys, being young and being dumb, they began to make fun of him. Baldy, baldy, baldy. And Elijah was not happy with this. So he, <laughs> he said a little prayer, and they were around some woods, and he summoned a couple bears, and the bears come, and they ate the boys. That's in the Bible. You should actually read your Bible. Some of you are going to go home and read the story just to go, you're going to be like Googling, like, where did God you know, talk about eating bears and bears eating boys? That's what happened. It happened, okay? All right. So they go to Elijah and they say, Elijah, can you help us out? 
Now, what do you think he's going to do? Do you think he's going to help him? If you think he's going to help him, say amen. Okay? Yes, he is. But first, he's going to cop an attitude. He's a prophet with an attitude. Have you ever known a preacher with an attitude? Oh, that was a big amen. That was very good. Yeah. So he, he is like, oh, so you want to ignore God, but now that you're in trouble, you want God to rescue you. Okay, I'm going to be a little bit of a smart act. And he starts copying an attitude. Now, where did he learn to cop an attitude as a younger protege prophet? From the older one, from Elijah. If you remember one time, Elijah, his mentor, went up against one prophet versus 450 false prophets. There were 450 false prophets one time, and they were all worshiping the false god of Baal. And Elijah, the older prophet, he said, hey, let's do a little experiment. Let's see if your God's real versus my God. I worship the God of Yahweh. You worship the God of Baal. Here's what we'll do. We'll each get a bull. We'll each kill the bull. And then you put the bull on your altar, and I'll put the bull on my altar. And you, if you can get your God to rain fire down and set the bull on fire, I'll worship your God. But if God puts my bull on fire, then you'll worship my God. Everyone with me? So he has a little competition. And so the 450 prophets, they get together, they get their bull, and they're chanting around the bull, and they're doing the rain dance, and they're doing the fire dance, and they're, they're doing all this, and they're like, send fire, send fire, yeah, send fire. And there's nothing, because Baal doesn't exist. And so Elijah starts copping an attitude. He starts saying, hey, guys, why don't you shout a little louder? Maybe your God's deaf. This is actually in the Bible. He says, maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe your God's in the bathroom and he can't hear you. This is actually in the Bible. Hey, you need to read your Bible. It's in there. He says, maybe your God's taking a leak in the bathroom and he can't hear you. Okay, you should read your Bible. That last part about a leak, that's not actually in the Bible. That's the John Roberts version, but you get the point, right? Okay, so Elijah does what Elijah did. He gets an attitude, and watch it. Watch what he says to the king of Israel. Verse 13, why do you want to involve me? Can I help you guys? Oh, you guys have been ignoring God all this time, and why do you want to involve me? And then he says this. This is great. Why don't you go to the prophets of your father and your mama, okay? Can you bring this? He's bringing mama into it. Anytime someone brings your mother into it, that's an attitude, right? Have you ever said, oh, it's about your mom? What? You start talking about my mom? What? But he says, your mom's a prophet. Why don't you go to your mom? Why are you trying to involve me? This is a lot of fun, guys. This is actually a great story. I'm having fun. Are you having fun? Are you having fun at home? I hope so. All right. So, your mama's a prophet. That's fun. I mean, that's just fun. Your mama's a prophet. Why don't you ask her? I grew up bored in church. I'm not bored today, okay? I'm not bored, all right? I hope you're not bored. So then he says, call the prophets of your mother. And the king of Israel says, no, no, no. Because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to, to, to deliver us in the hands of Moab? Are we going to die here? And Elijah, he's going to be a smart aleck again. He says, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, right? My God, whom I serve, you guys aren't serving it. You know, he just puts that little dig in there. As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, 
And then he says, you know, if I didn't have respect for the presence of Jebuset, one of the kings of Israel, one of the kings of Judah, I would not be paying any attention to you. So he's saying to the other two kings, okay, Jebuset, he actually, he actually has some respect and fear for the Lord, so for his sake, I will go to bat for you, okay? Otherwise, I wouldn't even pay any attention to y'all. Then in verse 15, he makes a demand. He's the prophet. They asked him to provide water. They asked him to pray, and he says, okay, uh, first thing you got to do is bring me a harpist. How many of you think this seems a little bit needy? Okay, uh, he's basically saying, I need some mood music, come on. You want some prophecy, you want some prayer time, I need to have a little bit of music. Go get the most difficult, most uh, challenging instrument to play and bring it in and start playing some worship music for me, which is funny to me. You may say this is really demanding, but that was not actually uncommon practice for prophets to demand a little bit of music before they went to God in prayer. Because guess what happens? Why do you think we do four songs a week? Because when people sing and you get into music, it opens up your heart and soul different than the spoken word. Amen? How many of you, I won't even look, but how many of you have ever been blessed more by a song that, that our praise band did than a sermon? I won't even look. It's true. It can happen. You may walk out here going, man, God really spoke to me that song. Because your heart is open up. In fact, when I, when I prepare messages, oftentimes I'll put on praise music because I want to get into the mode of worshiping God. I want to hear from God. It connects me to God. So Elijah's like, play the harp. So the three kings are like, wait a minute. He's going to give us a word of encouragement. He's going to tell us God's going to send the rain. He's going to tell us that everything's going to be okay. Uh, we got the harpist. We got the mood music going. Everything's going to be great. And then Elijah gives them a ridiculous command, verse 15 and 16. Then it happened. This is what Scripture says. When the music played, then the hand of the Lord came upon him and said, Thus saith the Lord. Whenever that happens, that means the prophet's about to say something. And here's, here's what he said. Let's put this on the scripture. Let's put it on the screen for everybody. This is what Elijah told the three kings. He said these words. Let's read it together. Make this valley full of ditches. Huh? How many of you are going, huh? Wait. Let's all do huh together. Huh? Very good. Huh? I thought God was going to make it rain. I thought that we were going to be doing the rain dance and there was going to be like, puddles, and we'd be splashing around and singing in the rain. And you're telling me when my troops are about to die of thirst, you want them to do manual labor in the hot desert sun? You want them to dig some ditches? What? And there's no sign of rain anywhere, a severe drought. Yeah, yeah, I want you to dig some ditches. And you're going to see that your greatest need often becomes your greatest blessing when it drives you to depend your life upon God. Verse 17, for this is what the Lord says, you'll neither see wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water and you and your cattle and other animals will drink. Then Elijah gets pure arrogant, pure cocky in verse 18. Okay, if you don't read it like this, you're reading it wrong. He says, this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. Like, you don't even realize how easy it is for God to make it rain. Come on. God can make it rain. Hello? Hello? When I first, just a side story, it's not in the notes. When I first moved to New Braunfels, I, it's a farming community, right? There's a lot of farmers. 
there were farmers there in that church that had more land than God, okay? It's just 10,000 acres, 20,000 acres. So I just, I just moved from California to New Braunfels. And the first Sunday I was there, it didn't rain for like 18 months. No rain. Farmers, crops are dying. Everything's desolate. This lady calls the church. I actually hear her talk to the office manager. And this is what she says. Ever since we hired that pastor from California, it hasn't rained a drop. I tell you, God's punishing us. So I had to get up and preach a whole sermon on, I'm not that powerful. I can't make it rain. I can't make the sun shine. I, I, really, I can't. But, but Elijah's saying, God can make it rain. This is an easy thing to do. And oh yeah, by the way, that thing you want, victory over the Moabites, God's going to do that too. But first, I want you to dig some ditches. And this is the context of the story. So now, now we get to the application. Now we get to where you go, oh, this is why I came to church, okay? Everybody go, oh, okay. All right, here we go. All right. The subtitle for today's message might be Faith That Works. Everybody say that with me. Faith That Works. If you're online, type that in, Faith That Works, okay? Come on, let's say it like we mean it. Show me a little love here. I'm not feeling much love, okay? Come on. Faith That Works. Okay, now there's a play on words there, and it's intentional, okay? I'm talking about faith that is effective. In other words, faith that moves the heart of God and invokes a response from God. I don't know if you know this, but the scripture actually says one of the things that makes God smile is when you have faith. The scripture says it this way, it's impossible to please God without faith. One time Jesus was in his hometown and he couldn't perform hardly any miracles, couldn't do anything. It says this in scripture. You know why? No one believed in him. They didn't have faith faith. Didn't have faith. All right, so I'm not just talking about faith that is effective. I'm talking about faith that works, faith that is active, faith that does something, faith that so believes God's going to act that we take a step towards God, believing that God is then going to take a step towards me. In other words, faith honors God, and God honors faith. Amen? All right. So let me show you how this principle works. And this first one is so good, I don't even know if you'll be able to contain yourself when you hear it. You're supposed to laugh. Whatever. Here it is. Only God can send the water. But sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. Only God can send the water. But sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. The crowd's really quiet in here today. I don't know what's going on. I'm trying to pour some spiritual caffeine into your souls. Okay? Let me say it again. Only God can send the water, but sometimes you have to dig a ditch. All right, thank you. <laughs> They're like, we got to say something here. <laughs> He's going to keep saying it until we do. Here's what it says in the book of James. James was the brother of Jesus. Didn't believe in Jesus till he saw him raised from the dead. Didn't believe in him. Didn't believe he was the son of God. James 2.26. Just as the body is dead without breath, right? I'm no doctor, but when you quit breathing, you're not, you're not doing too well. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also is faith dead. And what's the word that comes up? Dead 
without, what do you think it is? Works. So God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. Do you really think the God of the universe that made the sun, the moon, and the stars needed these guys to dig a ditch? Hello? No. No. God can do anything. God's like, ditches everywhere. We got an ocean. We live by an ocean. God's pretty good at putting water where he wants it, right? We got lakes, Lake Mathis, whatever, you know, there's ditches everywhere. But understand that God wants us to act. It's almost as if God is saying, look, you show me your faith, and then I will show you my faithfulness. Because God loves to see our faith. All over the New Testament, all over the New Testament, you see this principle over and over again. It actually says, when Jesus saw their faith. So when you see that phrase, you have to say, how do you see faith? What does faith look like? Right? Is it, is it because when you, like if I suddenly start praying, and I start praying, and you start, are you going to see smoke come out of my ears? Is that faith? Are you seeing faith right now when I'm praying? No. You're seeing me praying. When Jesus saw their faith. Faith is always in what? Action. When Peter was on the boat, and he's with the other disciples. Jesus comes walking on the water. And Peter, he's the impulsive one. He's spiritually attention deficit disorder, right? He's ADD, right? He was definitely on the redolent, okay, for sure. He says to Jesus, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come on the water. And Jesus is like, come on. And Peter steps out of the boat. And he's the only one out of the disciples who knew what it felt like to walk on water. He went to his grave knowing what it felt like to walk on water. But what did he have to do first? He had to get out of the boat. If you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. The other 11 guys, the other 11 disciples, they didn't get out of the boat. They didn't show any faith. They're just like, hey, watch this. Are you with me, church? So I believe there are times when God wants to see us participate in his miracle. It's still God's miracle, but he still wants us to participate. Again and again. You see this all over the New Testament. I'm going to try to prove this to you. There's a guy with a withered hand. He shows up at synagogue Friday night. Jesus is teaching. He shows up, interrupts the sermon, and Jesus says to him, stretch out your hand. And the man stretches out, and in doing so, he's healed. Now, he, Jesus could have said, Jesus' power, and healed him, right? But what does he say? Stretch out your hand. You do something, and then watch God respond. Again, okay, again, another time in the Bible, there was a guy who laid by a pool for 38 years, laid by a pool. The pool was supposed to make you better. The angel stirred the water. He could never even get his friends to roll him in the pool. Really? 38 years laying there of excuses. You ever know someone that just lays by the pool of excuses and doesn't do anything about their life? That was him. And Jesus comes up to him, and Jesus says, do you want to get well? This is like you being in the hospital and me showing up and going, do you want to get better? You go, duh. And let me tell you the key in the hospital. If they quit bringing you food, you're in trouble. The good thing about hospital food, it doesn't taste good, but they think you're going to make it. That's the truth. They quit bringing you a tray, get worried, okay? Anyhow, so Jesus says to him, do you want to walk? And the guy's like, 
well, I have no one to put me in the water and I can't walk. And Jesus is like, pick up your mat and walk. I'll heal you, but you got to do so. You got to pick up your mat first. And he does. Only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a dish. There's a guy born blind from birth and Jesus goes up, picks up some dirt and some mud, rubs it in his hands and then spits in it. And it's just nasty, right? It's nasty. And then he takes that spit and mud and he rubs it on the guy's eyes. And does he say, now you can see? No. What does he say to the guy? He says, now you go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now you go do your part and then you'll be able to see. And after he washes, then he's, do you see what I'm saying? So it's like God does his part, but we have to do our part, okay? You show me your faith and I'll show you my faithfulness. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Somebody say amen. I believe there's a lot of people, a lot of Christians that are waiting on God to show up and God saying, hey, you got to do your part. And you're just waiting on God, waiting on God, waiting on God. It's like I had a guy in my office years ago. He said, oh, I'm waiting for God to give me my dream job. And I'm like, well, have you put out some resumes? Nope. If God wants me to get a job, God will do it. Well... This sermon's for you. You take a step of faith. You want to quit smoking? Maybe you put the cigarettes down. Maybe you say, God, you can help me get rid of this addiction. Maybe you have to do a little Nicorette gum for a while. That's okay. What is that? You're digging a ditch. You want to heal a relationship that's gone bad? You want to forgive someone else before they've even asked for forgiveness? When you forgive them, what are you doing? You're digging a ditch. I know a lot of people, I want my kids to serve Jesus. I want my kids to be strong Christians. But then you don't bring your kids to youth group or confirmation or even to church. But you take them to the soccer game. I see you out there playing soccer. And why is my kid not a strong Christian? Well, you want some water? You got to dig a ditch. Be a godly parent. Do something. Hello. People say, I want more money. I need more money. Christians all the time. And then they don't tithe. Well, God gives this ridiculous principle that if you tithe 10%, God's going to bless you even more. He even says, test me in this. And people that do tithe, they find out, oh, my gosh, God has blessed me with a lot more opportunities, and the 90% has grown. It's crazy. Don't look at me funny. I hardly ever preach on money, all right? Hardly ever. All you are looking at me like, oh, no, here it comes, stewardship sermon. No, no. But what are you doing when you tithe? You're digging a ditch. When you feel like more, you need more, you're given to God, and you watch as God proves himself faithful. Sometimes you've got to dig a ditch. Only God can send the water. I know a lot of single guys. They're like, oh, man, I want a wife. I want a hottie. Yeah, I want a wife. I want a hottie. I want a hot wife. Yeah, God, send me a wife. And you're sitting on your butt at home waiting for some smoking babe to show up with a Bible in her hand saying, take me to church. I'm yours. You big stud. And you know what God's saying to you? Brush your teeth. Put on some deodorant. Iron your shirt. Sell your Xbox. You're a grown man. What are you doing? (laughs) Move out of your mom's basement. Come on. Get a job. Ask her out, buy some flowers, get involved. Hello? Only God can send the babe, but you got to brush your teeth. 
Speaking of that, are y'all having fun? I'm having fun. I'm having fun, yeah. If you're not having fun, I'm about to have some real fun. I, I started to, uh, you know, again, I've been dealing with my back, and I'm trying to do activities to stay in shape so I can fit in my suit and all this stuff. And so I started to play racquetball again, and it's actually been working. So I've been playing racquetball uh, with a group of older men. One of them actually is a bishop. I mean, you know, I want to be called the bishop. He actually said, I'm the bishop. I'm like, oh, come on, that's my nickname. And... Uh, <laughs> But he actually is a bishop from the Catholic Church. I'm all like making fun of him until I find out he really is a bishop. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I didn't tell him. I told him, I, I'm a pastor. And he's like, where at? I said, Yorktown Baptist. It's over there. You know. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> another, I, that's what I tell the kids when we get in trouble. We're from the Baptist Church. All right? <laughs> Anyhow, I got this good friend I'm playing racquetball with over at the athletic club. His name is Phil. And we've been playing racquetball for a while together. And this guy's in his early 50s, but he looks like he's in his early 30s. I mean, he's totally in shape. He's a workout freak. I mean, he's a godly man. I can vouch for his integrity. He'd be a great husband. He'd be a great dad. The problem with Phil is he's too afraid to ask anybody out. He'd be like, well, I saw this girl. You know, she looks really good. I'm really interested in her. I'm like, have you talked to her? Well, no. You got to dig the ditch, Phil. Come on. Well, and then I told him, I said, look, Phil. Eight weeks from now, I'm doing a sermon series on Elijah. You don't ask anybody out in the next eight weeks. You're in week two of the sermon. Here you go, Phil. You're in it. I'm videoing this right now. I'm showing this to Phil this week. Yeah, got to dig the ditch, Phil. Come on. In case any of you are single here, ladies, I have a picture of Phil on my phone. You can see me after church. He's kind of cute. You know, you might like him. And you can maybe help faithless Phil dig a ditch, okay? And I'll give you both a couple shovels, and y'all can have water and babies and whatever God wants you to have. Maybe get married. Only God can send the water, but somebody else help me out. You got to dig a ditch, yeah. Digging ditches means believing in God, giving vision for your life, enough to act upon it even when there's no signs of certainty or success, right? Believing in God is, is, is me coming to this church nine years ago when there was 20 people in worship total, and the budget was 167000 total, no day school, nothing, no support, no money in the bank. And I said, that's a problem because I need 100 of it to live. What? See, so many of us, we live for a forecast. Here's a forecast. Well, we have this cold front coming in here and this cold front coming in here, and that's going to make, you know, high pressure over here. And you can see it on the map, and it's coming, and then there's temperatures, and, and sometimes they're right. Well, think about this. How many of you could just be right 20% of the time in your job? Nobody. <laughs> just once I want to go, boy, they really blew that. We didn't know 12 inches of rain was coming. That's a forecast. But a vision that God gives you is different. It's not certain. It's not success. The difference between a vision and a daydream is you actually have the audacity to act and get started. So are you acting more on God-given vision or forecast, things you can see? Digging ditches means you put in the hard work now to be ready for the opportunities that may come along rather than waiting for a sign or chasing a rainbow. And it goes beyond the first moment of inspiration, which can be fleeting and often ungrounded. It's the act of putting your stake or shovel in the ground and saying, I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to work to make this happen. God gave me this vision, 
and it's going to happen. So nine years ago, we had a vision that, hey, we'd have a school with close to 200 kids, and we'd build another building, and boy, it's going to cost a million dollars, and how are we going to do that? We had a vision, and we put a shovel in the ground. It's called groundbreaking. We had to dig a ditch. Well, what if no one comes? Well, I don't know. We're going to dig a ditch. Digging ditches doesn't always look successful. You know, when they were digging those ditches, they were like, what are we doing? Where's the umbrellas? And I kept thinking when they were digging those ditches, what if they had dug like just small little lazy ditches, right? We don't really think this is going to work, so don't really put much effort into it. Right? God calls you to do something. I don't really think it's going to work, but I'll do a little bit. But the bigger the ditch they dug, the more water they would have, the bigger blessing they would receive. And their obedience brought a larger amount of water. And, of course, the ditches meant, you know, nothing without God's blessing. And it can seem even laughable when there's no sign of it, right? Sometimes we're doing it and it doesn't look successful. You're working out, you're working out, and you still look like the before picture. Right? Or you're working hard in your business, you're working hard, you're working hard, and you're not seeing any signs of it, man. That was COVID for me. Oh, my gosh. You know, doing everything we could to keep the church alive. And there was a lot of Sundays we're going, this don't look too successful. There's nothing glamorous about digging ditches. Noah, Noah looked ridiculous building the ark until it started to rain. Everybody was laughing. Then it starts raining. Everyone's knocking on the ark. Hey, you got any more room in there? Digging ditches means your focus is on behind-the-scenes efforts. One reason that young people, particularly millennials, you struggle with insecurity is you're comparing on social media, right? You're comparing your behind-the-scenes with other people's highlight reel. Because what do you post on Facebook? What do you post on Instagram or TikTok? You're posting your highlights. You ain't posting the digging the ditches. You're posting the day it rains. Hello? So quit comparing your life with other people's highlights. And they're filtering the heck out of everything. I remember I met my realtor online. I looked, I was like, oh my gosh. Wow, she's a model. Then she came to my house. <laughs> and I said, oh my gosh. What a filter. I mean, thank God for filters, right? There's a reason in restaurants turn the lights down low. Everybody looks better in the dark. <laughs> okay, I'm digging a ditch for sure. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Second principle real quickly here. Because it's 11.58, I'm aware of the time. <laughs> Real faith believes big, but is willing to start small. Right? A lot of people call themselves Christians, and they're not thinking big enough. Here's where I get, go with this. If you believe, and I do with all my heart, I wouldn't be up here right now if I didn't. If you believe that that God raised Jesus from the dead, that the stone was rolled away and Jesus literally, well, it wasn't a metaphor in the disciples' mind. It wasn't like he lives on in our minds and hearts. 
like we say at funerals, but Jesus rose from the dead. And the scars, marks of his hand are still in heaven. He still has those. And those are the marks of love for you and me. If you believe that God did that, then there's nothing that God can't bring to life in your life. Nothing dead that God can't bring to life. Your marriage, your business, your health, your relationships, anything's possible if God can defeat death. And so real faith believes that, but you have to be willing to start small. And you have to be willing to work for your resurrections. And your resurrections don't happen without digging a ditch. We serve a God who can do exceedingly abundantly more than we ever ask. And it's time to think big. We serve a big God. Think about this. How do you dig a ditch? If you're in the 9th century, 9th century B.C., which is what we're talking about here, how do you dig a ditch? One shovel load at a time. Right? What do you do? You start small. Zechariah 4.10 says, do not despise. Read this with me, friends. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Don't despise small beginnings, because God's rejoicing that you've, that you've picked up a shovel. You're going to start small. You're going to start small. You're going to be faithful with God has given you, right? I love the story about Richard. Richard is a, a guy from Henderson, Tennessee, and you can look him up. Richard, a few years ago, weighed over 426 pounds. It's a lot of weight. And doctors told him, Richard, you got high blood pressure, you're diabetic, type 2, and if you don't lose weight, you're not going to make it past your 30s. So Richard said, well, I need to do something about this. So he decided to go to a church. He'd never been to that church before. If you ever not walk into a church, you don't know anybody, it can be scary. Where do I sit? Am I in someone else's chair? So Richard's in his car trying to get up the courage to walk into church. And he heard God speak to him. And this is what God said because he was thinking about going home. He heard God say, I can't fix your outside till you let me fix your inside. And he went home that day, and he was so stressed out after church because the sermon was about this, and he uh, binge eat a, a bunch of uh, Girl Scout cookies, Thin Mints. I understand, Richard. I get it. But then the next day, he put a DVD workout in because he could work out at home because he felt safe. He didn't feel judged. At a gym, sometimes you can feel judged. And he started working out, and one workout turned into two and turned into three. And then he entered a CrossFit competition where the prize was $100,000. And not only did he win that prize, but he went down to 184 pounds in only 18 months with no surgery because he wanted to eat normal for the rest of his life. And he made a big change, but he had to start small with one workout video on a DVD. Some of you don't even know what a DVD is, but there's this machine. And now Richard travels around the world, and he helps other people get started, and they have to start small. I want to encourage you to think big, but be willing to start small, because only God can send the water, but he wants you to dig a ditch. And here's what happened in the story, just in case you don't read it. They dug the ditches, and what happened was a flash flood swept across the desert, and water filled up their ditches. And they were saved from thirst, and their animals were saved from thirst, and they filled up their canteens, and they laughed, and they thanked God that they prayed. But here's what's weird about the story. The Moabites were at a distance, and they saw all this water. 
and it began to create a little mirage in the desert. And they thought that the water showed that the kings were fighting with each other, and there was blood in the water, and they thought the three kings had turned against each other, and they thought, well, we can go in and just have victory. So they went into the camp unprepared to fight, and they thought they would just have victory, and the three kings got together, and they crushed the Moabites, and they won the day, and they were destroyed, and the armies of the three kings were delivered in the desert, and they won a miraculous victory over their enemy all because they obeyed a strange command to dig ditches in the desert. Serving God sometimes can feel like you're digging a ditch. I get it, okay? But I wonder, I wonder how many of you really trust God enough to provide an empty ditch for Him, or are you spending all your time trying to fill up the ditch yourself? Like, I got it, God, I got it. Verse 20, about the time for the grain offering the next morning, water suddenly came from the direction of Eden and filled the land. Water filled the land. And these kings, now you think about it, these kings must have thought, this is kind of weird, dig ditches, wait for the rain, you know, and they probably said things like you said, well, God's ways are not our ways. People say that all the time. Guess what? Yeah, that's true. God's ways are not your ways. They're better. They're better. And so we have to trust and obey. When God casts a vision for our life, we have to trust it, and then we have to act upon it, okay? There's no ditch that he cannot fill, no emptiness God cannot satisfy. And that's why Augustine said, God made us restless until we find our rest in him, okay? So here's the question I want to leave you with, the question I want to leave you with, and if you're online, you're brave enough to answer it, you can type it in. Where do you need to begin digging some ditches in your life? Where is it? For some, it might be your marriage. For some, it might be your relationship with your kids. Some, it might be with your health, with your trust, with your faith. Some of your faith is rather static. You think your job is to show up and evaluate the sermon. Well, how many jokes were good? That's not your job. That's Renee's job, my wife. She does it every week. How many ditches are you willing to dig? Are you willing to get your shovel out? Let's pray. God of grace, we uh, give thanks for this amazing story and what it can teach us and what it can lead us to do. And God, we know that you are powerful. We know you raised Jesus from the dead. We know that you, you've put the universes and galaxies in place and we can't even see them all. And we put a telescope a million miles away in James Webb to try to see your creation. And we can't even see it all. God, you're so awesome, so amazing, and yet you, you love us so much that you created us and you breathed your life into us. And yet sometimes, God, we doubt your power, we doubt your ability, and we're not even willing to get a shovel. But God, help us to recognize that you love us eternally. Ephesians 1.4 says, Before the beginning of time, God thought of everyone in this room, everyone watching online, everyone that will ever view this, God thought of you and knew you and created you and thought you were a good idea. And you're in this time and space and place in history right now for many reasons. But it's not to sit back. It's not to have a faith that is passive. It is to have a faith that works. It is to dig a ditch and dig another one and another one. 
and to trust that you're going to provide the water, God. So God, give us that faith. May we know that we stand here forgiven, not because of what we've done, not because we can earn our way, but because of what Christ has done. And he paid the ultimate price for our sins and our mistakes. And so God, give us faith, faith that actually works, that actually works. We pray this in the one who really had so much faith. He did so much for us. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us as we say now together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This next song is uh, written by a man named John Newton, and he was a man who dug a ditch. He was a slave trader. He was, by all accounts, vile, corrupt, amoral, gambled, drank. He got saved, gave his life to God. He quit the slave trade, quit, quit that, and actually worked to abolish slavery. And he wrote hymns every Wednesday night for his church. And one of those hymns was about how much of a wretch he used to be and how he got saved by God and God's amazing grace and love that never gave up on him. So let's sing about the one who saved us all, amazing grace. <laughs> 